the uniqueness of this service. As you know, we've been building up for this. This is Nehemiah building the wall, gathering the people together for a great vision to restore Israel as a community of people, a nation of people that would honor God and love the world. And we know that that's the story behind Nehemiah. It wasn't just about a wall. It was really about the people. And what we're going to get to do is visually uh, uh, see the uniqueness of our community called the River Church. And all these wonderful ministries, over 25 ministries represented, people that are passionate about building a beautiful, beautiful community that honors God and loves people. And so that's what we're going to get to do today. So we're going to continue our series, but before we do that, I wanted to invite a special couple up to uh, do a couple things. First of all, to honor them, because they don't get to be part of our church every week, because God's called them to a new and unique ministry calling that um, is outside of our community. And they've been part of our community from the very, very beginning, from the inception of what we call the river. And now God's called them to do something unique. And I wanted to highlight that to uh, show you that God, what God does when we listen to his call in our lives. And it may take us beyond this community. It may keep us right here. It may uh, uh, just connect us deeper into the body of the River Church. It may take us overseas. It may take us to another community. But Fram and Julie, Virgie, would you come up and just, I want, I want to just uh, uh, introduce them to you. If you don't know, many of you know the Virgie family, but thanks for being here with us this morning. We love you guys. You are a very special, special couple. And um, God's done something very unique in your life, Fram and Julie. You're, you're a, you guys are a partner in ministry, and I love that. You guys really are. You love each other. you You've raised some amazing boys, and, um, and now God's given you a new partnership together in ministry. And, Fram, I, I guarantee you, I bet you, you didn't think when you were in law school that you'd be doing what you're doing right now, that your life career has taken you in a totally different direction. And, and that's what God does. And so, Fram, I, I, this is a great opportunity to share with your, your church what God's been doing in the last season of your life since... Um, setting kind of the whole law practice aside for a little bit and then picking up something new and unique. What are you guys doing? What's, what are you up to? So um, I was a lawyer for 30 years and uh, grew up in, on the peninsula and uh, uh, decided at the end of that time that I wanted to do something more impactful and make a difference. So we have a nonprofit in Rwanda that you can see out uh, on the tables. Uh, we were going to move to Africa, but I got waylaid. And I am the president uh, at Cal State Fullerton, uh, which, if you think about it, this is a public university with 40,000 students um, who are searching. Uh, they are, they've come to university because they want to grow and they want to prepare themselves for life. Uh, they're trying to find out what it is that they're going to do with their life. And that's where God puts us to be with them, uh, see them touch them, uh, talk to them, uh, demonstrate for them what it is uh, to walk in God's way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, 
when you, as many of you who are who already graduated from college or are in college, you know, when you walk on a, on a college campus, you feel energy, you feel hope, potential, future. For those of you who are in college, I promise you, when you go back, you will continue to feel that, and that's what we get to feel every day. We do this as a partnership, um, and uh, we do this in a beautiful, uh, amazing, diverse community of people from every background. We have. Uh, incredible performing arts, we have incredible athletics, uh, we have uh, great colleges of engineering, we, everything that comes together and 60, uh, almost 65% of our kids are first generation that mm. go to college. Mm. Uh, about 60% of our kids from, come from underserved communities uh, and so they are uh, trying to find their way and we all know that there's only one way mm -hmm. uh, and usually at a public university, quite frankly, you don't get to talk about that. Yeah. But they ask us questions all the time, and so we get to talk back, and we mm. get to share with them, which is God's put us in the right place mm. at the right time, which is what he always does. Yeah, so, he sure amen does. to that. Thank you, Fram. Thanks, Julie. We love you guys. And it is really a beautiful segue into our message this morning in Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah has gathered the people, the wall is built, the community is now being backfilled with families. So now Israel is becoming uh, a nation again, a people again, a community, and it's starting here at Jerusalem. And there is an expression that we're going to read in Nehemiah chapter 8, which is the joy of the Lord is your strength, that the people now respond with great joy. And when I, I was on the Cal State uh, campus this um, uh, this last summer, and Fram and I went to lunch in the, in, the, in the cafeteria with all the students and all the new incoming students, and, and it was a summertime, and so, you know, there was still activity, and lots of people, and everywhere we went, people would stop to say hello to Fram and, and greet him because of his presence and because of his joy, because it's, it's infectious when you're a joyful person. When you love what you're doing and you're connected to God, and you're excited about that, it's infectious, and people see that in your life. And that's what I see in you, this, this infectious joy that, that these young people see, and they, they're curious about this president that's wandering among their midst. And it's about joy. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the source of joy. We're going to talk about joy, because the whole Bible talks about joy, right? I mean, all throughout the Bible, I've wrote a, several passages, Psalm 94, 19. When anxiety was great within me, your comfort brings joy. When I'm filled with anxiety, guess what happens? I get great joy because God comforts me with great joy. I read uh, James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, even when you encounter various trials. Mike and Jamie Calvert are here and they're... They have evacuated their home because of the fires, and, and they're now down here, and you are part of our church early on, and, and I have to believe in this moment, you're wondering how in the world we find joy when there's so much fear and trembling and concern all around us in our community. And it's pretty crazy. I mean, really, think about it. How do you consider joy when you really are going through something that's really hard? I mean, I'm not talking about something in the future that may not ever happen. I'm talking about something now that you're going through, and you're trying to experience joy, and it's really hard. And you're wondering, how in the world do you do that? 
How does a believer do that? Um, I'm thinking of uh, Proverbs chapter 10, 28. The prospect of the righteous is joy. So when you're right with God, guess what the prospect is? Joy. So all throughout the scriptures, 1 Peter 1, 8, my favorite verse on joy. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. We're talking about Jesus. We haven't seen Jesus, but we love him. We believe in him, and we are filled with what? What are you filled with when you know Jesus? You can't see him, but you believe in him, and you know he's in your life. What are you filled with? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, here it is, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's inexplicable. It's inexpressible. Something you cannot explain, and yet it's inside of you. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you think, ah, humbug, joy. How can you be joyful when the world is sorrowful, when so many bad things are happening? The shootings, fires, disappointments, diseases, people still living in poverty, people still being underserved, people that do not have the opportunities that we have in this room. How in the world can we be overfilled with joy around that? And yet all throughout the centuries, people have been discussing this from Aristotle to Augustine, St. Augustine and even contemporary writers, talking about what joy is really all about. Where does it come from? And by the way, neuroscientists are talking a lot about it as well. And they're talking about the value and importance of happiness in your life. Because it's not just so that you can enjoy what you have or, or to find pleasure in something, but it's deeper, it's more fulfilling. There was, a, there was a documentary done, I think 2011, called Happy. And basically they evaluated where happiness comes from. And they, they traveled the world and looked at all these different situations, from wealth to poverty. And they basically said, as long as you have to the basic amount, just a base amount to survive, which brings satisfaction, anything more added to that does not produce happiness, was the conclusion of the documentary. So the things that we think produce happiness are not the things God says produces happiness. There is another source. Nehemiah found it. He gathers the people in Nehemiah chapter 8. The Israelites settled in their towns and all the people gathered as one. Can you imagine the scene? Outside of the temple, because there were men and women and children at the water gate. We talked about the water gate as the one gate on the whole rebuilding effort of the wall that didn't need repair. All the other ones needed repair. This one didn't. We refer to this as the water gate. And the meaning, the symbol that it represents is probably something that doesn't need repair. And what's the one thing that doesn't need repair? God's word. It stands forever. Grass withers, fades away, but the word of God stands forever, right? We know that. It is the solid foundation. So they gather at the gate that represents the one thing that will never be in disrepair, the one thing that will create the foundation that produces the joy that you need to live out your life. And neuroscientists will say that joy or happiness is not just something that you need so that you're a happier person. It'll actually make you a more effective person, a more satisfied person, a healthier person. Do a little research on it. It's really easy. And you'll find all sorts of benefits. 
the boosting mental productivity, strengthening reasoning, making you more attractive, making you a greater contributor of society. And I always wondered about this, by the way, this whole idea of happiness and joy. I'm not a naturally joyful person. And so I'm kind of the person that looks at happy people going, well, they're just not that clued in, are they? (laughs) If they were a little bit more clued in like me, enlightened to reality, they would not have that big smile on their face, right? And so that's kind of the way in which I've kind of seen happy people. They're nice people. They're just uninformed people, right? And what I'm realizing is I think they got something I don't have. And it's something that has not only helped them, but also released something in them that makes them attractive to other people. And so Nehemiah gathers the people. Ezra, the teacher of the law, brings out the book of the law of Moses. Now, there's a lot of things to read, but this is the thing to read. This is the thing you got to read. So on the first day of the seventh month, this is the right towards the end just the beginning of the Jewish New Year, when you should be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, Sukkot means tabernacle, the remembrance of the time when God took the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into a new place, a new beginning, out of bondage into freedom. And they would practice this, this festival where they would build a little uh, lean-to in and, and, and take off work for seven days and live in these lean-tos or these little portable structures to remember the fact that God had brought their people out of slavery into freedom through the desert, wandering for 40 years, living in these portable tents because God wanted to do something new, bring them into freedom. And they had stopped celebrating it. And now on the, ver- the, the, the new year's coming. The city's ready to go. Every, they're poised to become the community of God as God wanted it. And the law is now read. And they began reading it aloud from day, it says daybreak till noon. Five, six hours reading through the law of Moses. Could you imagine that? This is going to be a 20-minute message. Could you imagine it was a five to six hour message? We need more donuts. We need more coffee you know, potty breaks. We would need everything, right, built into this thing. We need a little more entertainment. I mean, could you imagine the reading of the law on a podium, standing here, and I'm just reading through the law for five to six hours, and it says to me, it says right here, he faced the square, and the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Almost as if they hadn't heard in a long time. Almost as if something that they were hearing resonated with them. Like, oh my gosh, where have we been? We need to hear this. And so they begin reading Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform, and there were all these individuals around them. We don't know exactly who they are. They're probably representatives of the various communities of people that had backfilled this new community. Ezra opens the book, and all the people could see him. He opens it. The people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, said, great is the God our God, and all the people lifted their hands. They lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is a, this is a Canaanite practice 
of fearing their God. It was out of rote obedience that the Canaanites would fall before their idol. This is not what's happening here. This is a gut reaction to the power of the word of God as it's being read. And they fall on their faces. They raise up their hands. There's a response here that happens. And the Levites begin now making it clear, verse 8, and giving meaning so that the people understood what they were being told. Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest, they instructed the people and said, this is the day that's holy to your Lord, your God. Don't mourn, don't weep, because, see, their natural reaction was to weep. They knew they had blown it. They knew the situation they were in was their own fault. They knew the prohibitions. They knew the laws. They felt a weight. They felt a sense of obligation. They felt, man, I can't believe we can't make this thing work. And here we are again, rebuilding what was destroyed because it's our fault. God promised to take care of us, but only to go so far if we blow it. That's what they understood. So they began weeping because they knew that as they read the law, they had failed miserably. And yet Nehemiah says what? What does he say? What does he say? No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't weep. Let's respond differently. Today is a day of joy. Go, enjoy choice food, sweet drinks. Send some of those who have nothing prepared. Go have a feast. Go celebrate. Why? Why is Nehemiah saying not to weep at the reading of the law, but to celebrate? And then he says, don't grieve for, chapter 8, verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. How is the joy of the Lord your strength? Why does Nehemiah put that in there? What is it about joy that gives us strength? I think this is it. Here's the idea. This is what's going on. The people had a weight about them. And they had heard the law, and they had interpreted it a certain way. They had heard, thou shalt not. Prohibition, obligation, a daunting task ahead of them. How are they going to fulfill all of this? How in the world are we going to be God's people? There is so much. you, You might feel that way. You might feel every time you come into a church, you feel this weight. I'm going to be, I'm going to be pressured. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to feel the pressure of it. There's, there's an obligation. There, there's, there's a prohibition coming. I know it. There's something I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. You know, wipe that smile off your face. Stop having fun. Whatever it is, that's the way you've interpreted God's word. And yet what Nehemiah does, the priests begin to interpret the true intention of the word of God. The true meaning. The true meaning was not to put a weight on you, but to release you to be God's people in the world. From a thou shall not to a thou shall enjoy me. And I don't know if you listen to God's word and hear God's word, and when you read and listen and hear, do you hear thou shall not? Or do you hear, thou shall enjoy me because of what I've done for you? And if you hear, thou shall enjoy me because of what I've done for you, you will be filled with joy. You will respond with joy. And guess what? That's your strength. The strength in order 
to do anything, to be the kind of person you want to become, to be God's person in this world today. The strength that you need comes from that kind of joy, not a circumstantial joy, not a joy that comes from things, but a joy that comes from an identity, an identity of understanding and knowing what God says about you, not the way you've understood it. I think the number one reason why people do not like church or they don't want to be introduced to God or to religion a relationship with Christ, is because they have a preconceived idea of what God's going to do with their life. He's going to ruin their life. It's an obligation. It's obligatory. It's demanding. It's a weight. Rather than sense to come into a place where you hear, you've been released. You should feel, be filled with joy because of how God feels about you. See, that's really, that's the teaching in the Old Testament. Sure enough, The laws were put in place, and God knew that they were going to fail. God knew they were not going to be able to keep their bargain, their end of the bargain. He had already built that into the equation. That's the part we forget. He built into the equation that you were going to fail, but that's he knows that. He understands that. Here's what he says to you, and we're going to close this morning. Listen to this. Take this in. Change your perspective as you... Hear God speak his word into your life. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. How does that make you feel? You're mine. You are mine. You're mine. I formed you. I created you. Hosea chapter 1, verse 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son, my daughter. God calls you his son, his daughter. That he reached into a world of bondage and now is releasing into a life of freedom. See, we have to change our perspective from thinking that it's about obligation condemnation, judgment. You know what joy is? Joy is being protected from judgment. And this morning, we should be filled with joy. Why? Because we are no longer under judgment. It's what God thinks about you. So they heard the law. They responded with joy. And then it says on the second day of the month in verse 13 to the rest of the passage, they recognized and revealed the fact that they had not been celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles, and they said, let's do it. Out of joy came a desire to do what God wants them to do. Remember this feast, this festival. And for seven days, I got to believe it was a celebration like they've never had before. This was not obligatory. obligatory. This was not, well, let's, let's get after it so we can get on with, something, with everything else with a better life, or with our happy life, i got to believe they leaned into the next seven days with great joy. Let's go remember what God has done for us and honor what he's called us to do. Remember him. Put him first. That's really what the feast was about. Just put God first. What does God want you to do? 
It's only going to happen when you are filled with joy. And so we learn a lot of things in this passage. The importance of God's word, being emotionally connected to it as they raise their arms and weep, and then joy, there's a lot of emotion. But then there's a response of obedience too. They actually acted upon it. It's mind, emotion, and will. See, joy engages your mind. You know what God says about you because you're, you're learning. Get into the word. Your, your emotions, you're connected emotionally because you're attentive to it. You're, you're responding to it with your emotion, the deepest part of you. And you, you're not just reading it, you're, you're, you're digging into it and you're allowing it to soak into your life and, and you're, feel, you're feeling something. And then it's, it's, it's all about the will. I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. See, because I believe that um, those that want to be most holy are those that delight most in God. See, you'll never be a holy person, which is a person in right standing with God, until you find your delight in God. God has to be delightful. Then you're going to sense this desire to be connected to him, to hear him, to follow him. So as we celebrate communion this morning... We're going to call the worship band up, and uh, I'm going to encourage you just to go. Like, we're not going to wait a song as the worship team plays. We're going to go, and we're going to go to the table, because here's why we go to the table. The table is all about Jesus' sacrifice, but in the sacrifice is great joy, because Jesus said, I came that I might bring you joy. Jesus said that in John chapter 15. He also said in John chapter 17. Two places, John, Jesus reminds us, I've come to bring you joy. But you can't have joy until I go to the cross. So as we go and take the bread, dip it in the juice, and remember the Lord's sacrifice on the cross for us, his death for ours, remember also that he's present there reminding you to have great joy because you've been approved, you're loved, you've been released. And we're not going to spend time thinking about the past. We're going to think about the future that God's creating in your life this morning. And then we're going to go out as soon as we're done. Let's just head out these doors and we're going to have a great time of fellowship and connecting with people and connecting with ministries. And uh, it's awesome. It's just a lot of energy and uh, we may get inspired to join in. We may get inspired. There's a guy that came up at the last service and said, I'm selling a building. I've got some money. What do I do? And I said, well, follow Nehemiah's track. He had a burden He prayed. God gave him a vision, gathered the resources, made it happen, and then he celebrated God. I mean, that was the order. And so I introduced him to a couple ministries to get connected because he wanted to do something around helping kids with special needs. So we we just connected him with Young Life and Chad's ministry, Share Fast, and it was was phenomenal. Just that's, that's what the ministry festival is all about is to connecting people and ideas and dreams and seeing where God may lead you so let's do that so father thank you thank you for your sacrifice Jesus and we now go and we celebrate we celebrate first in a moment of humility before the table and then walk out these doors and celebrate the richness of your community called the church amen So when you're ready...
God's going to meet you right at the communion table, so help yourself, and then we're going to be heading out these doors and enjoying some time together.